You are listening to StarQuest Radio. I am Kurt Remke. Right now, you might look up at the night sky and see an alphabet soup of stars. Maybe you can pick out a few words here and there, but for the most part, it looks like a chaos of letters. This is fortunately not the case, and with some simple study, the night sky is quite organized and consistent. The first step to understanding our local window of the universe is to learn the motions of our sky that it presents. Remembering that Earth rotates on an axis through the north and south poles, we can expect that our night sky objects will rise from the east and set in the west, just like our sun's ritual motion through the sky view window. So if the night sky objects rise and set from east to west, then what happens with those that appear closer to our north and south poles? These objects remain in our night sky from dusk till dawn. As a night sky observer, this is important to keep in mind, as these can be used as consistent landmarks when navigating to a point of interest. There are six of these circumpolar constellations that are commonly referenced. Auriga, Camelopardalis, Cassiopeia, Cepheus, Draco, Lynx, Perseus, Ursa Major, and Ursa Minor. Part of the reason why the Big Dipper, or the Ursa Major, is so identifiable by the common public is it is one of these circumpolar constellations most consistently in our night sky. While we have this dernal, or daily motion, of the Earth rotating around its own axis, we also have annual motion, which is the year-long motion of the Earth rotating around the Sun. Like dernal motion, Annual motion also opens our celestial window up to new sites as Earth makes its journey around the sun, only this change is much slower. Just as our different hours of night present us with unique celestial bodies and constellations, the four earthly seasons bring us our celestial friends that directly correlate to our calendar months. Right now, as the quiet snow falls, we can look up to see just as any other year around this same time our winter stars. There's Canis Major, the great dog of Orion, the hunter. There's one of the largest constellations, Cetus, the sea monster, the whole of which can be seen through the month of January. Another of the largest constellations is found in the winter sky, the celestial river of Eridanus. Even as the political and social tides on Earth rise and fall, these along with the more popular Gemini, Orion, Perseus, and Taurus are always there for us to ponder in the cold of winter. So, say you're wanting to look up into the night sky and find a specific night object. First, find information in a stargazing book or an internet post about that object. So right now, all we know is that it's somewhere up there in the big sky. Like we learned before, we should use familiar landmarks of the night sky, like constellations, to narrow down our search window. Now we will use a technique called star hopping. Now that we know which constellation to look for, we will find it in our night sky. Look back at your book or internet post and you should find directions from here. Usually these directions will tell us to find a specific star in the constellation's pattern. Now the directions will tell us to draw a line in a certain direction from this star until we hit our destination.
oftentimes you will not find the object right away. If this happens, no worries, just start again. Relocate the constellation. Find the reference star. And draw the line. There it is. Often the object we're looking for will be a very faint light to the naked eye. This makes it difficult to spot, especially since our eyes aren't yet accustomed to looking up into the darkness of the night sky. This is why it is best to save the fainter objects for viewing later in the stargazing night, as your night vision will increase as time passes. When beginning to learn a new skill, it is often best to start with the smallest level of difficulty and increase from there. As far as stargazing is concerned, this first level is one of the most beautiful things to look at in the night sky, and while we are familiar with it on a nearly nightly basis, its many intricacies can unfold to us when we take the time to closely observe it. Of course, I'm talking about the moon. The great thing about the moon is that we can only see one side of it from our terrestrial view. This is because the rate at which the moon spins on its own axis is equal to the rate at which it rotates around us on Earth. This allows us to become familiar with the same features that only change in visibility due to the phases of shadows cast on it by the Earth. So while the night sky might seem like an exhausting start with its more complex patterns of change, the moon's visible landscapes can be navigated with a simple two-dimensional map, just like any atlas of Earth's human transportation systems. For now, we will leave the moon, but we will revisit it in our next episode that will dig into the moon's features and guide you to navigating its landscapes with binoculars or a telescope. After we've had some practice with a simple target, we can graduate to the next level of stargazing, the planets of our solar system. Well, at least the five that are visible to our naked eye. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So you're walking home at night after seeing a local production of Dr. Faustus. Overhead, you see the glow of the city's emanating light. You see the moon, but you also notice several other night sky objects peeking through the light pollution. These are most likely to be the visible planets, as their proximity to Earth allows them to cut through, unlike the fainter, more distant stars of the night sky. With a telescope aimed at Jupiter, you might even see its moons and cloud belts. With the same scope, you might see the rings of Saturn or even the polar caps of Mars. From here, you might start looking between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter to find asteroids. While these are more visible because they are closer to Earth than stars, they are more difficult to spot for beginner night sky observers and require special charts and sky maps to locate. We may touch on these in future episodes. I know that this episode seems pretty short. I'm going to be honest with you and say that the research, production, and composition work that goes into these is growing increasingly difficult to keep up with, and I'm not sure how often they will be coming out because of this. What I would like to do with these is start creating work that can be used as a sort of audio reference guide to night sky observation. This episode focused on introducing you on how to think about the night sky in order to begin familiarizing its behavior. After this, I will develop a somewhat linear, graduated path for you to start observing easy objects while you get familiar with the night sky and get better at working your way around it. 
Uh, while I do this, I will also keep bringing in interviews from local space experts and Fort Wayne Astronomical Society members, and also try to keep you up to speed on recent national news. Speaking of which, I can't quite get over what happened just a few days ago when Elon Musk and SpaceX finally launched the world's most powerful rocket, the Falcon Heavy. The most incredible thing about this launch to me is watching the launch rockets detach from the main craft and swiftly navigating themselves back to the launch pad, safely landing for future launches. This is extraordinary because SpaceX has now developed a reusable system for launching rockets that will save 33% of the total cost. And when you're talking about billions of dollars, that's a crucial saving. With many NASA missions being held back by inadequate government funding, we will now be able to lean more of our weight on SpaceX to help us. In the past, we've had missions that included launching science probes onto the surfaces of planetary moons, leaving them there as we continue on to our main mission goals. This was done with the faith that one day in the future we will fund a mission to launch a craft to go back and gather the information that these probes glean from the subjects. Unfortunately, it is looking like these probes' batteries might die before we can afford to send back for them. If this happens, we will be losing not only the valuable information that the probes have gathered, but we will also be wasting the money and time that went into designing and sending those payloads on the parent missions. Hopefully with these new developments from SpaceX, we will be able to better afford these reconnaissance missions. Also, on a lighter note, if you haven't watched the launch footage of the Falcon Heavy, I can't recommend you do so enough. It is a thrill to watch this history unfold. Also, when the shields fly off to reveal Elon's personal Tesla Roadster flying through space with a spaceman dummy sitting in the driver's seat, while David Bowie's space oddity blasts and onlookers cheer is just spectacular. Anyway, that all being said, I hope to make these as frequent as I possibly can while staying busy with my other projects. I and the Fort Wayne Astronomical Society appreciate you listening, and if you can, please rate and review us on whichever podcast site you use to listen, and please subscribe and share with others. Our hope is to spread space knowledge and get people excited about things that are definitely worth our attention. See you next time on StarQuest Radio.